parental advisory, uh, explicit content, Ezekiel 16. Uh, if you've read Ezekiel 16 before, you, you know what I'm talking about. You can see my problem that I'm facing here. If this is your first time uh, exposed to Ezekiel 16, uh, it might kind of come as a shock. We, what you just heard read was a very carefully uh, edited version of uh, Ezekiel 16, leaving out a lot of verses. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty graphic. Adult content, and then there's graphic violence. And then, of course, after the snowstorm, when a lot of the uh, families are home today watching online, and I'm aware of a mixed audience behind the cameras there, so um, I'll do my best. This is not one of the chapters they put in the children's Bibles. Um, We are... uh, So, anyway, this this may be a little uncomfortable for us. Um, But Ezekiel wants us to feel uncomfortable. That's the the point here. That's his intent. Hence the graphic language. Um, It can be a good thing, because it's it's shocking, but he wants his audience to be shocked out of their thinking. Remember, Ezekiel is preaching to a group of exiles. So these were people who had been displaced from their homes uh, and from from their land, and they're living in a foreign land. And their whole idea the story that they were telling themselves was that exile was unfair, that it was kind of a fluke. You know, after all, they were God's chosen people. You know, God would always protect them. They had this city, Jerusalem, with massive walls. It was nearly impenetrable. And they were just banking on their history as being these special people who God would protect. And therefore, this exile was some kind of mistake. You know, just maybe a temporary setback for God's special people. Uh, but they were, and they were in denial about their sin. So they need to be shocked into understanding the, the gravity of their situation and what they had done. So Ezekiel's not about to be polite to these people about their true history. And he's, he's exposing their sin and, and all of its ugliness and really in a really graphic way. So, so I invite you to read on your own is the, all of Ezekiel 16 and kind of see how he does that. And I'm going to walk us through it uh, in a way here. But this is really the only way he can get his point across. So Ezekiel is instructed to kind of retell their history. And he uses this allegory to just, he tells them their story. And I want to look at three chapters of that story. So each of these three chapters of this history of God's people uh, has a lesson for us today. And then lastly, there is an epilogue that's kind of surprising at the end here as well. And we'll take a look at that too. Let's pray. Father, just as you uh, used your servant, your prophet Ezekiel, to bring um, a much-needed message to the people, we pray that whatever message we need to hear today, that you would speak to us. Because you're a God who's here. You are a God who speaks to your people, that you care enough about us uh, to, to draw us back to yourself into good paths, into fruitful places. And so we, we desire that, Lord, and we just pray that you would teach us in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Chapter 1, we'll call this rescue. 
This is a rescue. So the image here is really a gruesome image of an infant child that is thrown out and exposed to the elements, um, just left to die. And in verse 6, which was not read for us, the, the image here is, Then I passed by, this is sort of the image of God, I passed by and I saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. It's a powerful image, just a helpless, abandoned infant. And God said, I'm going to give you life. So God takes in this infant, and God washes her and anointed her and clothed her, and it completely reverses the circumstances in which the infant was born. Now uh, there's, there's been given goodness and a chance to live and a chance to be fruitful, and then beauty is given, and there's image of jewelry and fine clothing and all these wonderful things and elevating the status and making her beautiful. Verse 13 says, you became very beautiful and arose to be a queen. So now uh, connected and married to the king who uh, saved and raised this uh, helpless child. And the lesson for us here in this first chapter of rescue the lesson for us is the abounding grace of God and the generosity of God. That all of God's goodness towards his people is God's self-motivation. It's not because they contributed anything. It's not because they were worthy of it. It's not because they earned it. They were helpless and abandoned and, and really no chance at life except for the grace of God, the gift of God. And it is by the sheer grace of God that we are who we are, just as by the sheer grace of God they were who they were. It's an amazing and a beautiful thing that changes our status from lost and dead to alive. And not just alive, but flourishing and beautiful. And when that happens, the status of the queen then reflects on the king. So now the queen, wherever she goes with all of her beauty and all that she's been given, it reflects well on the king. The world needs to see God's people out around the world, and they need to see the goodness of God in his people, that people might be drawn to the God who we claim to follow. It's only by his grace. So as Christians, we are people saved by God's grace. Not Again, not because we're so great, not because we're worthy, but because God has lifted us up out of that pit and given us a whole new status so we can live lives with grace towards others. Goodness in the places where God's called us. Speaking truth even when it's hard. Showing kindness. Having joy. Having hope forever because we have this beautiful status as, as God's people, the bride of Christ, beautiful and, and saved and rescued and elevated to this beautiful position. That's a great, it's just a beautiful image in chapter one, rescue. Then comes chapter two. We'll call it chapter two, rebellion. Verse 15 is the key verse here. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become prostitute, you lavished your favors on anyone who passed by, and your beauty became his. And then in great detail, chapter 16 describes this rebellion and this behavior. We're going to skip most of those verses. 
Um, a couple things bef- before we think about what this means for us. One is, this is not intentionally um, calling out women as being particularly promiscuous. The image here, again, is referring to all of God's people, male or female. Um, that's all you know, describing this baby Jerusalem and now this uh, rebellious Jerusalem as all of God's people. And God's word consistently uses the image of bride to describe God's people, Old Testament, New Testament, that we are the beloved bride of Christ, and Christ is the bridegroom, and we are uh, made pure and holy and beautiful for him. And so that image is consistent through Scripture. It's not picking on women here. The other thing to remember is that when you read parts of the Bible like this about uh, infidelity and about this kind of rebellion, it's going to be shaped a little bit by your own personal experiences of these things. If you've been uh, a child of a family, of a a broken marriage, or if you've uh, felt the pain of divorce or infidelity in your own life, whether you, um, something that was done to you or some mistakes that you've made, um, it's, it can bring up a lot of pain for people, and especially kind of graphic images like this, depending on your experience. But that pain or that, those feelings are in some ways important to understanding this, because God is saying, that's what it feels like to me when my people abandon me, the God who made and rescued you, and when you turn your own way, it's a tearing apart. It, is, uh, it, is, it, is, it deeply hurts. And how it's described here, basically God's people are thoroughly depraved, and they've degraded themselves in every way imaginable. What's the lesson for us? The lesson for us in the key verse, again, verse 15, it's about you trusted in your own beauty. When we are gifted, when God has blessed us, when God has given us success or beauty or gifting or whatever it is, or wealth or whatever God has blessed you with, the danger is always to take that and say, that's mine to do what I want with. Look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. God warned them, even before he brought them into this beautiful promised land, even before he really made them a true nation of people, he warned them. He said, look, I fed you. When you were wandering around in the wilderness, I fed you. I cared for you. And when you get all the blessing that I'm promising you, you need to be careful. Deuteronomy chapter 8 says it like this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors, as it is today. See, all the blessings you experience, God promised to bless his people. But when he blesses you, you need to remember that it's from him. It's not your own doing. In the New Testament, same teaching, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? What do you, what do you own that God didn't bless you with? You know, what breath do you, what air do you breathe that God didn't give you? Your ability to produce wealth, your ability to be successful. When people look well of you, 
It's because God has blessed you in that. We always remember that it's God's gift. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. You know, we are to display God's goodness to the world and God's beauty, but we, we display it with great humility. Not, we're not showing the world how great we are. We're at a point to how wonderful God is. And the way that we live will display that. And the rebellion of, of Israel here is, is a great... Um, again, they, they, they took what they had and they used it in, in ways that were... In, in disgusting ways. It's rebellion, chapter 2. So we have the rescue, the rebellion. Chapter 3 is retribution. This is the punishment. Verse 43 says, I will surely bring down on your head what you have done. And the way this is described, mostly in verses 35 to 42, is terrible. It's, it's an adulterer's death. Um, and again, the normal practice of that day, which feels very distant from our world, but was uh, um, to be exposed in public, to be stoned by a crowd, to have all your wealth and possessions burned. It's public humiliation and torture, and it's described in very violent language in these verses. What's the lesson for us on that? Well, when we read these, these horrific words, it reminds us how ugly sin is. That every sin separates us from God, and it is ugly, and it is, it is offensive, and people need to know that and understand it in some way. Certainly the people of Ezekiel's day, and we do too, because if we understand how ugly sin is, you understand why the cross is so offensive and so graphic and obscene. You know, you have an innocent man, he goes through a rigged trial, He's beaten within an inch of his life. He's forced to carry a wooden cross on his back that has just been ripped open by whipping. His hands and his feet are nailed to that cross and he's lifted up to hang there and to suffocate and die. And we have to ask, what horror caused that? What put him there? What put Jesus on that horrible cross is sin. It was our sin. That held him there until his work was accomplished. I think if we if we think that you know God comes into our life to help us a little bit, to make us better, to give us a little push, to kind of be our divine coach or protector, we, we think too little of sin. That God has, it's not that God has given us a little push or a little help. He has just taken us out of the depths and the darkness and the ugliness of sin into the beauty of his kingdom, into the beauty of a relationship with him and healing and wholeness. And that's what God does for us. It's a whole new life. And we need to understand, if you understand the ugliness of sin, you can really see the beauty of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 puts the lesson to us this way. Describing the... The sins of God's people in the Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 10. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. 
Basically, when we see how God blessed this nation of people and how bad they fell, we remember that God has blessed us through Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful to, to follow and to obey and to, to, to walk in his path. That was all, this is all an image and a warning for us today. So there's your story. There's your true history. You were rescued from death. You rebelled. And then this punishment, this retribution. But then we see this epilogue at the end of the chapter. And it's a very long chapter. So 60 verses down, we see these words, and they're almost surprising to us. It says, Yet I will remember the covenant I made with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. In verse 62, so I will establish my covenant with you and you will know that I am the Lord. And after all the rebellion and after all the the punishment that it deserves, God says, but I'm going to keep my covenant. That's the covenant that God keeps. And in verse 63, then when I make atonement for uh, for, for you, for all you have done, You will remember and be ashamed and never again open your mouth because of your humiliation, declares the sovereign Lord. The point there is, God said, when I, I'm the one who's going to pay for that, all that stuff you did. And that's what the, that's what the cross is all about, where Jesus pays for the whole thing. He said, you're going to realize at that moment how far you had fallen. You're going to be so, it's just so ashamed of where you were. But then it's, it's through that we understand where God has brought us and how beautiful it is. The depth of his love is known best by seeing how far he has brought us. It is all about his great love, a whole new status, being forgiven and free and in this beautiful love relationship with the God who made us. This is beautifully summed up in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to these young Christians. Ephesians 5.25, he teaches them, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Let us pray. Father God, may we never forget how far you brought us. That as we trust in you, as we put our faith in you, we see that you've lifted us out of death and darkness and that you've cleansed us and washed us and made us beautiful for yourself to live a whole new way in your kingdom. I pray that if there's anyone in this room who has wandered from you, who has rebelled from you, that they would turn back and receive your grace even now. That hearts would be turned to you and that we would receive this beautiful redemption because you have kept your covenant. You have kept your beautiful promise for us to be your people for you to be our God and to provide everything, Lord, for that to happen. And we give you all the glory for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.